Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Another Bottle Down. My name is Mark Rayshap, and uh, Another Bottle Down is actually a radio show that broadcasts on 91.7 FM in Austin, Texas, on the airwaves. And then we make this podcast, and you can get it in the iTunes store, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. So I really appreciate you listening. Uh, On today's show, we have... Oh, wonderful guest, fourth-generation Chianti Classico producer Cesare Cecchi. And, of course, his winery is is Cecchi. And they they make um, Chianti Classico. They make uh, Reserva. They're starting to make a Gran Selezione. You'll learn more about that in the podcast. Um, But we get into such great conversation about the history of his family, what's going on right now in Chianti, the debates around the Chianti Classico appellations, some uh, grape varieties that are uh, maybe coming on the scene a little bit stronger now, um, the debate around uh, where Super Tuscans are. So I learned a lot. It was great to talk with Cesare, and uh, I'm sure that you will enjoy the conversation. Make sure to... um, Check out previous episodes. They've, we've actually had a lot of really good content recently, so go to the iTunes store and and uh, dig back and, and see some other previous shows that, that might like attractive uh, to you. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Hit that subscribe button and uh, make sure to get new content as it comes out. Uh, and I also would love to hear from you, actually. Um, uh, Chesade was saying, oh, you know... Um, do do people weigh in as to what uh, what what topics and themes they want to hear? And and I haven't really done that. So if you want to hear a particular uh, hear about a region or hear about a particular theme that you want me to explore, uh, send a note on social media. Instagram, it's illuminated underscore bottle. Uh, Twitter, it's another BTL down. And uh, and on Facebook, it's another bottle down radio. So uh, just tag me or send, send me a note. Um, and I would love to really discuss any topics that you, the audience, want to hear. So um, without further ado, uh, this is Cesare Cecchi from Cecchi Winery in Chianti Classico. Well, Cesare Cecchi, this is a real honor and pleasure to have you in the studios, and I really look forward to telling your family history and digging into the wine regions and your wines that you make in Tuscany. Welcome to the co-op studios. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me this chance. Um, yeah, uh, we we are 125 years old. Congratulations and, this year, uh, right? <laughs> I represent the four generation in the business together with my brother Andrea. The winery was founded in 1893 by my great-grandfather. And uh, the company in reality is called Luigi Cecchi and Son. Luigi was my great-grandfather, then Cesare, then Luigi, then Cesare, me, and my brother. Um, the winery was founded uh, in the Chianti area, and uh, of course when you talk about uh, Tuscany, you talk about Chianti, because right. the most famous uh, wine coming from that area, especially at that time. Then many other, like Brunello, like uh, Vino Nobile, like uh, other wine came, uh, uh, became famous, but Chianti was very much uh, synonymous of Toscana and wine from the central part of Italy. So um, we we have been growing 
pretty well, I would say, even if the biggest development has been after the Second World War. Right. Uh, and uh, we move, and that is an important point, uh, back in 1978 to a new location in Castellina Chianti. At the beginning, our winery was in uh, Poggibonsi, which is a very little village. But it was very important because in Poggibonsi you have the cross of the one of the most important streets in Italy, of the railway, uh, railway. And that was very much important because uh, transportation and logistic was very difficult up to 30, 40 years ago. Right. Uh, so that was the, the bouncing point where bottled wine could get to all parts yeah. of Italy. Wow. Yeah. In fact, from the hilly uh, Chianti Classico area, all the wine were coming to Poggibonsi or Ponta Seve, which is another place where a lot of other winery come from. And then there the wine was bottled and then shipped uh, all over. Even if, as you know, when we talk about Italian wine, the export is uh, very much uh, related in the last 50, 60 years. I mean, we have other nations, and of course I will not mention it, but uh, you can easily understand that uh, other nations are much more renowned worldwide because they start the export much before than the Italian wine. Yeah, so they were a little bit behind. Um, bring us back to the 1800s. How much land did your, um, you know, the four generations past own, and what was winemaking like? What were they doing back then? Do we know? Well, think about the 18th, the 19th century, so 1880, 90. I mean, at that time, again, transportation was one of the most difficult think because uh, I mean from the countryside to reach even a small town was was really a problem sometimes right. it was taking days what do you do today in 20 minutes it might took you know two days <laughs> and so transportation was, was um, a big challenge as the safety of the wine was a big challenge by lucky, I have to say that in the wine you have the alcohol content that help you a lot right. in in terms of safety, but uh, for sure it was not easy. Uh, it was not easy, and then at that time, the only container was wood. Yeah. There was not stainless steel. There was not other kind of container like we have today. So. Um, if I'm thinking at that time, for sure, it was really a hard job. Hard job also in the vineyards because uh, they didn't have the tractor or the mechanism that we have today. I mean, it was everything was really done 100% by hand. Uh, even the to bring the grapes from the top to the end of, of a vineyard was a big effort. I mean, uh, and at that time, the only transportation power was cow, where cow, and I mean, <laughs> it was a completely different picture of what you can think today. Right. Even the way of cultivation was completely different. Nowadays, uh, when you think about the vineyards, you think of vineyards like uh, six, seven feet from one row to the other. At that time, uh, it was completely different because you have one row and then uh, maybe 30 feet to the other row and in the middle they were um, they were cultivating something else. So even the characteristic of the wine was completely different. It was really a, a different world. Uh, for sure, <laughs> they were very much pioneer. Even if in terms of... Um, um, of Chianti, we cannot talk about Pioneer because uh, Chianti has been grown in the area since uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. Sure. Uh, we have a document who dates back uh, 1083, 
about our property. At that, at that time, our property was one-third of wood, one-third of vineyards, and one-third of saffron. So, I mean, having a document. Who what was that third one? Saffron. Saffron is what you eat today, right. the yellow. In the paella. Uh, that, that's, quite, that's quite unusual, but uh, you have to think that at that time, saffron was a sort of currency. A little piece of saffron was so valuable yeah. that you could buy couple of cow or maybe wow i don't know i don't know the market situation at that time but it was really a sort of currency when you had a little saffron in your pocket you could really buy and <clears throat> a lot of things a lot of services and so the property at that time was also one third of saffron so i mean uh, if you go back to the history, uh, we could talk days sure. about that. <laughs> in fact, Chianti and, and the wine uh, has been part of our culture since the beginning, I would say. Right. Uh, and if you think about the countryside of Tuscany, you think about vineyards, you think about uh, olive trees, and you think about uh, cypress which uh, we love to say Cyprus is the exclamation mark of God in front of such a beautiful place. Right. <laughs> but in reality, Cyprus is typical from Tuscany. Yeah. And uh, so if I think about Tuscany, of course, I live there, but uh, Tuscany is that one. Yeah. So, and so, but, but back in the day, there was maybe more agricultural products, and now the wine has taken off to such a great degree. Uh, probably uh, uh, farmers are ripping out other crops and, and really focusing on wine. Do you see that today? I mean, for sure, wine has been very important in our, not as cheeky, but in the area, I mean, uh, as, uh, as activity. And uh, has been developing so much in the last 50 years. Um, even after the Second World War was not, I mean, it was big, but it was not really uh, so big as it is today. I mean, uh, in the last 30, 40 years, I mean, wine has been developing so much, especially in the foreign market, that uh, obliged in some way Chianti to make a lot of experience before many other wines, how to approach the different market, how to ship the wine the different market, how to prepare the wine to, to go to the different market. So uh, Chianti has really been the, the, the first wine known worldwide and uh, has been doing a lot of experience also for the wine who came uh, later on. Right. Now, if you come in the Chianti classical area, and then it would be interesting for you to uh, to know the difference between Chianti and Chianti classical, because a lot of people makes uh, they mix the two. That's in a reality, there are two different things. Right, that's a fundamental point, which I think is worth talking about. Um, um, if you want to know, I mean, the difference is pretty simple in terms that uh, you have Tuscany, which is quite quite a large region. You have Chianti, which is in the middle of Tuscany, and you have Chianti Classico, which is really the historical part of Chianti in the middle of Chianti. So uh, it's uh, there are more restricted area. So Tuscany is a region, Chianti is a big region, Chianti Classico is just the heart. And, uh, and then I'll explain you why sometime on the shelf you see so different price for a Chianti. Right. A Chianti, it's, it's a 
everyday, simple, approachable kind of wine. When you go to a Chianti Classico, you expect to have a, a classic, more structured kind of wine. If you go to a Chianti Classico Reserva, you expect to have uh, a full-body red wine. Right. So these are really a diff- they are really different step when you talk about Chianti. Right. So so you could be growing grapes in a variety of areas, all within the large Chianti area, uh, and maybe from the area outside of Siena or Pisa or um, or Arezzo and, and blend them all together and you might just still have the basic Chianti, right? And then the Classico is from a particular area with more strict requirements, right? There, there, there's a little bit more strict requirements in terms of yield and how much grapes you can get and, and aging requirements, right? In fact, uh, when you talk about uh, the wine uh, domination, DOC or DOCNG wine, what it means is that you have to follow a lot of different rules. Right. Uh, you make uh, the right point. While Chianti is a wider area and usually has uh, um, the permit to produce a little bit more uh, yield per acres. When you go to the Chianti Classico, your production is less for the same uh, space and then uh, you are required to age for a longer time you are required to use uh, specific grapes so everything is more restricted and of course uh, uh, everything has been uh, uh, say regulated to obtain right. a more structured kind of one How, what do you think about all of that regulation from a producer standpoint I mean you make such a wide breadth of different wines how do you feel about it? do you feel like sometimes it gets in the way of business or do you feel like it's a good thing for the overall region what are your thoughts on that no i think it's uh, it's a very good thing i mean uh, basically regulation put all the different uh, competitor if i can say so or producer uh, starting from the same line then each uh, producer can add something in terms of uh, uh, capability in producing the wine um, very often it's not the producer itself very often is the is mother nature that is different from one place to another. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, rules are we need rules, so uh, I don't I don't have to complain. Sometimes more than on the production side, um, they're difficult in terms of uh, specific that you have to follow in terms of shipping in terms of, uh, and that's make a little bit uh, more complicated. But yeah. uh, um, generally talking, I'm not yeah. at all against rules. Yeah. I mean, actually, you would you would need even sometimes more rules in certain certain aspects. So nothing wrong with that. Uh, we need to to know, you know, uh, which is the goal of right. these rules. And sure. sometimes, uh, sometime, <laughs> you know, the, we all not uh, think in the same way. But uh, in principle, nothing wrong uh, okay. against the rules. Yeah. Um, but this is something, it's a system that uh, is all over is all over Italy. Unfortunately, sometimes we have too many, and some of them are not really necessary, but um, we, we really have uh, what we say, an overdose. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really, sometimes it's too much, but yeah. basically nothing wrong. Let's go back to, uh, so you are really based in the Chianti Classico zone. Uh, do, you, do you buy grapes from outside, or do you make some other wines that, that include, or, or are you really just focused on the Classico? <laughs> Yeah, as I was saying before, our main uh, 
place, uh, area production is County Classico, but as a family, we own other six different properties. So yeah. I would say we are all around Tuscany and Umbria, which is another region, the central part of, uh, of, uh, of Italy. Um, it depends very much on the wine. On certain wine, is our is 100% our production. On other wine, we also buy grapes. Okay. So um, it, it depends very much one by wine. Even if even when we buy grapes, uh, we have uh, a sort of control all year long because we have long term relation with our supplier, and that's uh, help us to. I wouldn't say control them, but I would say more help them sure. to produce what we really think is the right way of production. Yeah. And uh, you become very close with these people, and uh, they are proud to give you the, their grapes, and you are happy because you know you can trust them on the grapes they produce. Then, of course, you have you have a big challenge uh, with the weather condition, with the vintage every year is different so right um and and so if we talk a little bit more specifics in terms of grapes the grapes have somewhat evolved in tuscany over time can we can we kind of uh first talk about sangiovese the king of of tuscan tuscan grapes and have you describe uh you know what sangiovese was uh back then and and what it is today and um and maybe touch on sangiovese from the different regions yeah uh, w- when you talk about tuscany you talk of course about uh more about red wine and you talk about sangiovese because all red wine from tuscany are based on sangiovese more or less uh, uh, sangiovese but all of them has it uh, Sangiovese is for sure one of the most difficult red grape varieties to work with. Very difficult to obtain deep color. Right. Uh, very difficult to keep the acidity at the right standard. But uh, at the same time, is a kind of grapes who can give you and grant you an elegance that very few other can do. Right. Uh, of course, I'm in love with Sangiovese because I was born <laughs> with the Sangiovese taste in my mouth and yeah. uh, I keep have it, but uh, I still have it. But uh, uh, Sangiovese, it's really uh, something very typical from Tuscany. And um, of course, you are trying to play with the Sangiovese base also in what you what you want to obtain. Sangiovese is also very versatile. It can give you, it can produce a wine like a Chianti, which is easy and approachable, as we were saying before. It can produce a Chianti Classico Reserva if you have very low production and you know how to age it and how to produce it. Or a little different Sangiovese can produce a Brunello in Tuscany, which is, you know, the king of wine together with Barolo and Amarone uh, wine of Italy. So it's, uh, it's, it's a big challenge. Also because, and that's uh, something I would like to point out, Sangiovese is typical from Tuscany. The research has only been done in the last 20, 30 years. I remember the research that Chianti Classical Consortium has been doing in the year 2000. And 2000 is only 18 years ago. And it's not, uh, if you think about Merlot, Cabernet, and other good varieties, even here in the United States, you have been studying them since much longer time. So in reality, Sangiovese can really give you, it will give you more and more. And something that is very important to know is also that 
within Tuscany, within different area counties, Sangiovese give you different results. For example, we have a property in Maremma. Maremma is only 50 miles south of the Chianti Classico area. And the same Sangiovese, the same clone of Sangiovese, so exactly the same plant of Sangiovese can give you completely different results completely different in terms that in Maremma, because it's very hot and dry, San Giovese got ripe uh, the beginning of September, and uh, it gives you a, a wine, you can produce a wine which is really very much immediate, which is upfront kind of wine, fruity. While uh, in Chianti Classico, the San Giovese, you have to wait the end of September, beginning of October. Uh, for sure, it can grant you a very elegant kind of uh, of wine. So while in, in um, Maremma we are talking about fruit, in Chianti Classico we usually talk about flower right. because it's much more delicate and elegant. So, I mean, same Sangiovese, two different areas. Yeah. Now, you mentioned this word clone, which, of course, is a, a sub-variety, to, to put it in a certain way. And you said that the, the Chianti Classico Consortium is only studying the clones since 2000, is that? Mm-hmm. And what have they, from your point of view, what is interesting? Is that an interesting discussion to have uh, about the various clones? Because it's hotly debated, as, as I understand. Yeah, uh, in here we are going to, you know, some technical aspect. But uh, as I was saying before, there was no not much research, so Chianti Classico decided at the beginning of the 90s to conduct a, a research out of 10 years uh, in 54 different vineyards or sites uh, within the Chianti Classico. Different because of altitude, because Chianti Classico goes between 200, 250 to 500 meter on sea level. Uh, meter, it would be like uh, between 700 and... Um, 1,800 yeah. feet. Right. I hope I guess it. <laughs> uh, but different in terms of exposure, different in terms of number of plant per hectare. So there are many different uh, aspects that you have to consider. And then um, different because of clone. Clone, in some way, is the DNA of the plant. So if you use the same clone, all that plant will give you exactly the same result. So if someone gets ill, even the other gets ill. Uh, if it gets ripe on a certain date, even the other gets ripe on a certain date right. in the same yeah. vineyard. So um, it's really something something very important. We didn't really know the difference between the different clones. Up to that time, we were making more selection based on that vineyard is producing a great wine, Let's reproduce that vineyard in another place. Uh, after this research, we know that certain clones are very good in the in the very dry season. Some other clones are much better in the rainy season, or some other are very good for thousand uh, five hundred feet on sea level. Other, you know. So we know a lot of. We have really a lot of data who who advise, who can give uh, a direction to the producer when they decide to plant a new vineyard. And then uh, this research still continues, even if uh, it's not in the same place and not in the same way. But now we have a lot of data who can really help the producer when they want to you know, plant a new vineyard to, to choose, you know, to make their choice. Right. So, so from your point of view, it might be 
interesting to have many different clones that uh, either help you in difficult years or different years. And uh, on your estate, you might have different clones as well. Is that a choice to, to have diversity of clones? Uh, yeah, this is true. That will help you very much in terms of projecting a vineyard, in terms of planning uh, the you know all the the work you have to do on the vineyard. But at the same time, you want to keep your specific identity. So yeah. you still keep what we call muscle selection. Muscle means uh, I always been doing a good wine out of that vineyard who has a percentage of this, a percentage of the other. You try to recreate that kind of uh, blend in terms of of vines uh, because you want to keep your characteristics. So it's always a very hard decision because then uh, you see the result of your decision after 10, 15 years. Yeah. And that's the you know the difficult of our of our of our business of our uh, of this kind of production. When we usually say we are 125 years old, it's not because you know we are better than the other. It's because uh, the company has such an experience going through the year that is yeah. very important. You know, so you can study a lot. Now you have a lot of data, but uh, sometimes the you know. The, how do you say the, when you remember something, when you the experience uh, the that epiphany. you have sometimes is even more important right. because uh, you can also count on on that, yeah. and it's very very much important. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Cesare Cecchi, who is a fourth generation of the Cecchi family producing wine in Tuscany, uh, originally founded in the Chianti Classico zone and now making wine all over Tuscany and Umbria. Um, Cesare, I'm really enjoying this conversation, and it's great to have you here in the studios uh, with such knowledge and experience. It's, it's very, very impressive. Um, we were talking about Sangiovese. Can we talk about some other varieties? Do they have uh, some roles in, in maybe blends or uh, some other things that you think are very interesting? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, in in, uh, in the Chianti area or in Tuscany, we have many other uh, typical or autochthon grapes. Um, with the research of the last 30, 40 years, you really understand who are the good one and the bad one. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, you, you make a choice. And in fact, for example, the Trebbiano, which was one of the white grapes that we cultivated a lot in Tuscany, is... Step by step, uh, reducing very much uh, uh, the presence in Tuscany. Like uh, same things for the Malvasia. These two white grapes were very much used to blend, uh, to use in, in the Chianti blend because at that time the acidity of the Sangiovese was so high that you needed to have a white grapes to keep it a little bit down. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. it was more, you know, the wine was almost undrinkable. Now with all the techniques we have, we don't have any more that needs. So you're trying to give to the wine a specific characteristic. And of course, Sangiovese is the grapes that we see in the future. We also have uh, Carraiolo, who was uh, typically in the blend. Uh, some people still use it, but it's not considered as important as it used to be. It's kind of a, a rustic grape, right? With not uh, Yeah, it's pretty... Um, Another rustic but very useful kind of grapes is the Colorino. Colorino is a grapes that uh, we still use. is a sort of, um, for the people who know a little bit about grapes, is a sort of Petit Verdot 
in France in terms that he had color, he had uh, structure, he had tanning. Yeah. Um, usually you don't produce 100% colorino kind of wine, but to blend like in a very small percentage, uh, he still adds something that uh, uh, that can help the Sangiovese. Not because the Sangiovese need it, but because it's very much neutral in terms of taste. It can help the Sangiovese with the color. As yeah. you were saying before, color sometimes Sangiovese can be a problem. And, uh, and you had in terms of... Uh, uh, of structure, yeah. so this is uh, between you know the grapes uh, um, using Chianti, one of uh, the most important. Another grapes that uh, we have been valuing very much in the last few years, especially on the coast, is the Vermentino. Is a white grapes because uh, again, as we were saying before, when you think Tuscany, you think red wine. But we also have a, a percentage of uh, production in terms of white wine. And mainly these the good white wine come from two great varieties. One is the Vermentino, especially along the coast. And another one is the Vernaccia, that is mainly cultivated in the area of San Gimignano. Vermentino is a very aromatic kind of grape, so you can really have a very fruity, upfront, uh, fresh Mm, kind of wine it's uh it's really pleasant especially in the summertime it has a good structure but uh again it's something that you usually appreciate when he's young um it's uh, it's very fruity and it depends very much where it is grown and how it's grown you can have very interesting result uh vernaccia is more inland the production is very small we, we are talking really a very small production, but uh, it's something typical from the area, and especially in the last 10, uh, 15 years, the the quality of this wine has been increasing very, very much. It's not so well distributed, it's not so well known. It's also very difficult to pronounce this as name, because uh, <laughs> when you talk about Vernaccia di San Gimignano, I can bet here in the United States, there is many other countries, think about Japan, it's almost impossible to remember. <laughs> but uh, uh, for sure, it's uh, one, these are, the two white wines that I would consider most important out of Tuscany. Unless you don't go for other international grape varieties cultivated in Tuscany where you can obtain great wine, but they're not really typical. So. Right. And, and you're doing some of that with your new super Tuscan blend, um, Coevo. Coevo? Is, that, uh, is that the idea there? Yeah, Coevo, it's really uh, a wine that... Uh, I don't know. It's it's um, it's out of the box kind of wine <laughs> because uh, I'll tell you the story. We used to produce a wine. It was called Spargolo. It was uh, a sort of um, my father invention. In 1982, my father started to produce 100% Sangiovese kind of wine in a very old vineyard. It was called Spargolo. Spargolo means uh, sparse, very few berry, and uh, the concentration was very high and Nowadays, Sangiovese 100% is normal. 1982 was really something different because at that time we were producing Chianti with Canaiolo, Malvasia and all. So 100% Sangiovese was, was really uh, something new. Uh, this one has been going so well, but the vineyards was getting older and older and older. So in 2004, that vineyards, unfortunately, have to, we have to, you know, 
rip it out, to, 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 change change it. Yeah. Uh, was was really too old. And 2004 was also the year that my father died. So with my brother, I said, "How how can we make a spagolo? You know, with everything new. I mean, now that we need to make or choose another vineyard." So we said, "Okay, this has been a very successful story. Let's try to make a new one." And we create Coevo with the idea that we didn't want to be linked with a specific formula, and uh, we didn't want to we didn't want to be linked with a specific vineyards. So no single vineyard, no predeterminated formula, but Coevo, which means contemporary, was the challenge that me and my brother took. We say each year we need to find the way to produce the best wine without any rules. Yeah. What, what can we do? So the idea is that uh, we have all the best wine of the world are produced by different wine. It's a blend of great wine. Right. So we said, why don't we try to combine the fruitness, the friend, the friendship, the, uh, how do you say, the, um, uh, the, the, the sun right. of the Maremma with the elegance of the Chianti Classico. So we, we started producing the first Coevo in 2006, and it was uh, 50% Sangiovese, 10% Cabernet Sauvignon from the Chianti Classico, 20% Merlot, 20% Petit Verdot from the Maremma. And, you know, that's how things, you know, has been born, and then it's growing, and each year we have a different blend. Uh, we try to produce each year, even if we didn't produce in 2008. In, you know, we only produce, let's say, in the best vintage. We sure. are talking about a very small production. Is in some way our business card, in <laughs> terms that uh, this is what we think that vintage should be, yeah. you know, the top. And, and, and all, all in honor of your father. And, and that's how, you know, how we started. We are talking about 12 years ago, so it's not a long story, but it's been a very successful story, especially in, the, in Italy. It's pretty, well, pretty much uh, renowned. We are talking about 15,000 bottles. That for the people, it seems a lot, but in reality, if you think about the United States, you want to ship six bottles in each, <laughs> you know, in each, uh, in each uh, uh, city, you know. Sure. So it, it's, um, again, it's, uh, it's something interesting. It's a challenge that we have every, every year. And uh, we are very much renowned for that kind of wine. Yeah, and and so this is technically a super Tuscan. Do you do you like that category? Do you like uh, that name for for this sort of wine? Or um, I mean, of course, because it's coming from different regions and doesn't have uh, what is it eighty five percent Sangiovese. You can't you know you can't call it one of the regions. So, but this is uh, a wine in Tus Toscana IGT. So in reality, as far as the the grapes come from Tuscany. Uh, you can produce it. Right. And uh, so it's not really following many rules. Uh, the rules are that the grapes have to grow in Tuscany. And we really do not like to call it very much Super Tuscan. <laughs> Super Tuscan has been a, a name uh, who has been uh, identifying a category, and it was a very brilliant uh, way to call a category who was uh, developing 30 years ago. But now, Super Tuscan, it really doesn't reflect 
yeah. what uh, Corvo and other wine are. Uh, so for sure, it's a wine that comes from Tuscany. It's a wine that, uh, very, I mean, Corvo is above all the other wine we produce. But we, we feel like Super Tuscan is too, it's a little bit too old way of, uh, because so a lot of people say Super Tuscan, but in reality, Super Tuscan doesn't mean anything. It means that it's a super wine from Tuscany, but it could be everything. Right. There's no rules. There's no, it could be 100% Sangiovese or 100% Cabernet. Uh, everybody is expressing himself, you know, in, in doing uh, the, these kind of wines. So, Let's call it Coevo, or yeah, let's call it the other go. way. You right. know. <laughs> so, so you think that each each uh, house should have their own kind of flagship, and then and they th- that should be branded alone, and the branding of Super Tuscan should be almost left behind these days. Yeah, I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with that, and very, very, and truly, that has been helping a lot. I mean, to to be so synthetic and uh, and clear. Sure, but. This is something was uh, in the 80s. Now yeah. we need to make something different. <laughs> and try to call, you know, the wine for for their name. Each one has a name, and uh, uh, it just uh, it just uh, a business card, yep. you know, yep. of, of each single producer. I like that. Know. Yeah, Cesare, let's take a short break, um, and uh, we have to. We'll hear from some station announcements and. Um, we're talking here with Cesare Cecchi from Tuscany. My name is Mark Rayshap, and this is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, 91.7 FM and koop.org. All right, we're back. This is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio. My name is Mark Rayshap. We talk wine and the wine industry, and today we're joined by Cesare Cecchi, who is fourth generation of the Cecchi family making wine in Tuscany, 125 years of uh, expertise and history. So uh, it's it's very impressive. Um, and Cesare, I, I understand that you uh, recently purchased a property in Montalcino to make Brunello di Montalcino. Is that is that correct? Well, this is really a, a very the very latest news in terms that uh, we have been doing that just less than one month ago. Uh, as I was saying before, we have property in different parts of Tuscany. We decided to go to Montalcino, and we were looking for the right solution since uh, some time ago. Uh, we want to respect very much the area, so we step in with a, a little property. I mean, a property is not a huge property, but uh, we, have tr- we have been trying to choose uh, one of the best, if not the best, area within Montalcino, because even within the denomination, you have better place than other. Um, Can you give us a quick overview of how to think about Montalcino if folks are really wanting to dive deep? So what, what did your research kind of lead you through and and understanding Montalcino? Well, Montalcino is an area that is really unique, okay? It's an area that is becoming famous in the last 30, 40 years. It's an area where really you can produce great wine out of. Of course, within Montalcino, like within every other denomination, you have better part than the other. Um, so without, uh, um, say, 
I don't want to put anybody in trouble right, right, in terms right, that uh, each one, of course, is thinking the best areas where he is. But uh, <laughs> in reality, when you talk about the south part of Montalcino, it's uh, considered by everybody uh, the, the best area. So we bought this property just above Sant'Antimo, which is a beautiful church, old church uh, in the south part of Montalcino. We are talking about a very small uh property but again where we, we were very much looking stepping montalcino with something with a quality project yeah. it's not just taking care of the taking advantage of the denomination right. we wanted just to get in and be a competitor in terms of quality yeah. so as you know, Montalcino has to age for four years. So this is something that maybe my son and uh, my <laughs> nephew will see. So, But uh, it's important to, to step in. Um, very often people forget that we only harvest once a year. Very often people think that, that we can change the wine uh, during the year. In reality, we have one crop. If you miss it, you miss it. There's no other solution. And so that's why experience is so is so important. Uh, usually, you need at least ten years before you can see uh, a little return on your investment or a little um, answer to your question. Because right. when you, it's really like this. Because when you buy the vines and then you plant it, then you hope to get a result, but uh, then you have to wait five, six years to have the first crop that is too young, you don't understand it, uh, then you need to age it. So 10, 15 years is really the minimum time to to see what the result is. Right. So we are 19, if you uh, bet in 2018, correctly. so uh, yeah. we need to wait around the 30, 32 <laughs> uh, to see how we have been good, on, if we have been good or not. But and so you really did did that purchase for the family and for the the the, the future the yeah, future generations. We are talking about the family, and, uh, and I don't know how to translate it, but uh, we have a a way of, of saying it like that the the company has to be rich. Uh, the family has to be poor. That in, I don't know how to translate it. <laughs> so but, usually when you have, but usually when you have that, uh, you grant the company long life. Uh, because if you start to be to have the country and the family are rich and the company is poor, company doesn't go so long. And uh, yeah. <laughs> even the family, I have to say sometimes. But uh, so we we always been doing everything. Uh, thinking about next generation, thinking about uh, about the future. Sometimes it's not easy, yeah. but uh, that's what we have to do. So Montalcino is in this kind of... Like uh, three years ago, we've been buying another property in Chianti Classico just to have... Uh, uh, a different Chianti Classico because uh, it's only, what, 10 miles uh, distance, but... In reality, the soil is different, the exposure is different. So, from what we have, so we are trying to to make. Uh, we have been trying to make uh, a different wine, and this year in September, we'll come up uh, with the first wine. So we are going to have Villa Rosa Estate uh, with the Gran Reserva, with the Gran Selezione, which is uh, the the last denomination of the Chianti Classica. Uh, this is something new for us. It's something new for everybody because it only uh, started two, three years ago. Uh, 
So it's a project we have been thinking a long time, and uh, by so, September you would see what we are going, you know, what you have been able to do. Right, right, right. So because the Gran Selezione, correct me if I'm wrong, has to come from a single uh, estate vineyard? Is yeah, that? the difference, uh, of course, uh, Chianti is one thing, Chianti Classica another thing. In the Chianti Classica you have what you usually call vintage wine, which is a wine that can be released uh, the, the, the year after of the harvest uh you have a minimum aging time but uh you know it's not so so strict right. and you expect to have uh, a good uh full body red wine but uh with uh more immediate kind of response then you have the reserva which usually is much more elegant bigger structure longer life kind of wine the grand selezione is above the reserve so it means that uh, you need to have for example you cannot buy grapes to produce the grand selezione right. you have to own the vineyards uh, you have a production which is, which has to follow different rules than the other um, so it's uh, it's much much more restrict uh, rules in terms of production who should obtain uh, you know the top of what you can do in the in the Chianti Classico. A lot of people, a lot of other producers used to have, uh, uh, you know, a, what we were talking before, the Super Tuscan. Right. And now they are using the same name of the Super Tuscan to produce the Gran Selezione. So they are coming back to the denomination right. Chianti Classico. Yeah. In our case, we wanted to start a completely new project. And so we have been uh, selecting some vineyards and uh, in this new property. And this new property would only produce uh, the Grand Selection. Yeah. I, I'm, are, are you very excited about it? It seems like you said many producers are very excited about Grand Selezione. I'm very excited about Grand Selezione because it, I think it gives Chianti Classico a way to um, compete with Brunello and the Vino Nobile di Montepulciano. Do you, do, do you think about it like that in terms of, um, because it seemed like for a while Chianti was, you know, getting left in, 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 in the dust by Brunello's. Uh, let's think about um, from from a marketing, even if I don't like that, but uh, marketing point of view. While in Brunello and in uh, Montepulciano, you have a structure which is very close to the French. So you have the first label, the second label. So in case of Brunello, you have Brunello, and then the second label is De Rosso. Same thing is Montepulciano. You have Vino Nobile Montepulciano or Rosso di Montepulciano. Uh, in Chianti Classico, we used to have the same. With the Gran Selezione, we are trying to put more, uh, to go more vertical mm -hmm. in the pyramid of the quality. Mm -hmm. So, Gran Selezione is really the summit of the pyramid, and nowadays represent about the five percent of the total production. Uh, then you have the Reserva, which is. Which represented 25%, and the other 70% is the Chianti Classico, because not every day, truly speaking, you can have a Gran Selezione. I mean, right. uh, I mean, every day you drink a very good Chianti Classico, you're happy. So it's a new approach, It's uh, and that it, it was, um, was a need that many producers had, because in reality, the production, the total production of the Chianti Classico compared with the one in Montalcino, for the Brunello or the one in Montefulciano for the Vino Nobile is much, much bigger. So you need more 
uh, hierarchy. Tier, more, yeah. um, I don't know if we say. Would call, we would call yeah. it hierarchy. We, we want a, a, a greater hierarchy because there's just more wine, right? And that, uh, I mean, this is something very recent that we'll see in the next five, six years of work. Yeah. Uh, but from what we see up to now, it looks like, uh, even if uh, at the beginning it was not so welcome, uh, step by step is becoming more and more interesting because people realize that at the end it's just an effort from a producer point of view to make it a better wine. Right, yeah. Um, so we've been talking about these three regions for the top wines of the area, the Chianti Classico, uh, Brunello di Montalcino, and Vino Nobile di Montepulciano. And you've said it way better than than I have. How would you, for folks not, not necessarily familiar with the flavors, how would you describe them from a, a flavor standpoint, how they're, they're slightly different, or how, how you think of them in, in terms of flavor? Uh, it, um, it's difficult without having a, a glass in front right, of us. It's very I difficult. I but I, uh, um, I can tell you what the generic uh, uh, idea is. Uh, Chianti Classico start to be a more simple kind of wine. Uh, Brunello has always been considered uh, a, a top producing area. Um, the first difference is the grapes. I mean, the grapes that you have in Chianti Classico is different from the grapes you have in Montepulciano and Montalcino. So uh, it, it's still Sangiovese, but there are some difference. In fact, in Montalcino, they use what they call Sangiovese Grosso, not because it's big, but because you have the skin of the grape is much thicker. Um, and so that's, you know, uh, a big difference to start with. Then uh, in Montalcino, they've always been uh, looking for the great wine, long aging. Montalcino have to age for four years. So everybody's producing to have a long life wine. Well, in Chianti Classico, I mean, the vintage Chianti Classico is something you, you enjoy after 12 months or 15 months. So all these kind of difference in terms of production made three different wines. Vino Nobile is in reality something in the middle, yeah. and that's uh, and that is why sometimes it's difficult for for the Vino Nobile to have his own identity. I think Vino Nobile is a great wine. I love the Vino Nobile, uh, and I think uh, I mean any time I I enjoy a bottle of Vino Nobile, I'm very happy. <laughs> but in some way, is is between the Brunello and the Chianti Classico because yeah. Vino Nobile, even, even uh, based on the roots, uh, it's is uh, using the same grape for Brunello, but he also had some other grapes. So we are talking about, especially if you talk about the Reserva or the Gran Selezione Chianti Classico, about three great wine. Yeah. Um, I would say Chianti Classico is more more fruity. Uh, while the Brunello is more is the top of the elegance, uh, while the Vino Nobile it's really something in the middle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's difficult. It's to okay. Explain. It gets le it gets left behind uh, a, a little bit because, because then, of course, he's producer giving his own identity. Mm, 
I mean, it's a difficult choice. Yeah. It means that we are talking about three great wines. Right, right, right. We'll have three glasses in front of us next time. <laughs> what uh, I, I see that you are starting to make um, an organic wine as well. Is, is that a topic that is very much uh, being talked about in, in Tuscany? We always been very. Uh, we always been having a lot of attention about uh, the environment, yeah. and um, even many many years ago, even before organic wine, we start producing organic wine. We always been very careful about it. Uh, in fact, uh, we had the organic uh, license, if I can say so, already twenty and some years ago, when organic was your not, family, the, yeah, the check, uh, yeah. Um, when organic was not really a commercial success like it is now. Right. But that is part of the philosophy of each single producer. I mean, uh, some, uh, someone is more sensible or, uh, than, than other. Um, nowadays, is important. It's important for everybody. We have uh, this kind of approach from uh, many different producers. Uh, we have uh, the Maremma. We just uh, had uh, the recognition of uh, organic, uh, mm, organic uh, farming. That's how you say, right? Yeah, right. And, uh, and we are talking about uh, quite a large property, so we have a lot of uh, effort. But at the end, it's more a mindset than anything else. So if you get that mindset, it's not an effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you know how to do it, uh, you do it in a different way. Uh, for sure, in Toko organic, uh, you have some more, some problem. Uh, I mean, you, you can, you might need to fight with some more problem. But, um, you know, I'm very pleased to go in that kind of direction. Right, right. And then, um, and also I would imagine that Tuscany is a relatively... Um, I don't want to say easy place, but it, it, you don't you don't have some disease pressure that you would have in other uh, other areas. I mean, it's a pretty good place for wine to make wine, right? Yeah, it, of course, it depends very much uh, on the weather. I mean, if I think about a harvest like uh, the one we just had. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be difficult or a harvest like the 92 where we had rain almost for 11 months it's going to be difficult but uh, if you take out this kind of uh, extreme yes Tuscany it's, uh, is a place where you can have this kind of cultivation yeah yeah um, well we're just about out of time we have uh, uh, about enough time to have a, a, another question or so I want to um, I want you to describe the dynamic with your um, with your son is, is he is your son in the business now you're the next generation well uh, uh, in reality me and my brother we have uh, two son and two girl, and two daughter each I mean um, just to describe the family on my side, I have a daughter which is uh, an architect and she studied for something different uh, and she's working, you know, as an architect. I have a son who just finished the second master uh, in knowledge and viticulture. He has been undergraded in Florence and he has been uh, doing what we call the, what is called European master. So he's been uh, spending eight months in Montpellier, four months in Bordeaux, six months in uh, Geisenheim, Germany, where you have beautiful university. He has been doing some experience in Napa, 
Wow. So he has his master, and um, you can trust it was not an easy master to obtain. <laughs> right. And on top of that, he has been uh, also doing the OIVE Master. OIVE is a very important association in, uh, in Europe, where in reality they study the technical side, they study the management of, uh, of, uh, of a winery. But the most interesting part is that they travel for over 30 countries in nine months' time. <laughs> and so he has been uh, in Tasmania, seeing producing, he's so producing wine in China, in whatever, whatever it comes wow. up. And he just came back uh, last month from uh, South America. And uh, and the beauty of that is that he got now with a lot of people. Sure. Uh, he, he can see the different approach of the different winery all over the world. So he's very much an uh, open mind kind of guy. He just came back. Two weeks ago, so just a little bit of relax, and then we'll see what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know if we will join the winery right away. I might do some other experience uh, and some other. He's still 26. He still have a few other years to make experience uh, because then once you get in the winery, you cannot escape anymore. <laughs> so we'll see. On my brother's side, um, they're a little bit too young because uh, the, the, the daughter is 23. He's living in New York and he's uh, selling salmon and truffle. So he's already in a business, but he's doing experience uh, in a company who is uh, selling food, let's say, even right. if a very much specific food. And the boy is 21, and uh, he studying medicine, so I don't see him to be. Yeah. So one each, let's say. Yeah. That's the idea. We'll see what is going to happen in the next few And do they, uh, you know, particularly your son who, um, what's his name? Your son's name? My son is Ricardo. Richard. Ricardo. So um, does Ricardo say, hey, Dad, maybe we should, is he starting to insert his opinions yet into the winery? Because he now has all this experience with university and travel. Is he saying, uh, even though he's not officially working, well, we should do this or we should yeah, do that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was a Vinitali. Vinitali was a fair who just ended the day before yesterday. And he was there and he met a lot of people. I introduced him to a lot of people. And he tasted the wine of his friend. And he's right. getting the wine business. I mean, wine business is something... It takes a little time to get in because even if you are prepared under a technical point of view, then you have a, a, a big part of uh, of the business is also the the you know how sensible you are on the on it's a relation with people. Yeah. It's uh, the you know it's so it, it's not something you can make it in one day. It's it's a lot of. Uh, Passion is a lot of uh, a different aspect yeah. than just the technical side. Uh, you need really to love these uh, these pieces because at the end you are selling taste, you are selling culture, you are selling history, history. you are selling a lot of different things. It's not just uh, uh, a technical. Right. Part. Well, that's the thing that always really inspires me. That you know, wine that is removed from its history and the place that it's made is. Is not as attractive or interesting as a wine that encompasses everything. Wine is emotion. Yeah, I mean the same wine in a beautiful dinner with a beautiful 
company with, I mean, with a beautiful friend uh, is a wine, with a beautiful glass is a wine. The same wine, the bad place, uh, it's, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's the, the emotional part of it. It's, it's very much uh, important and you need to be able to, to create that. To, it's not just something you can count or a fixed parameter. Right. It's something, emotional part is important. Yeah. Cesare Cecchi, thank you so much for being here and on the show. It was a great honor to talk with you and have uh, have you describe what is going on in, in Tuscany and with all of your properties. So thank you very much. If you want more information on Cecchi, you can go to www.cecchi, that's C-E-C-C-H-I dot net. Uh, and then their importer, and big thank you to Terlato Wines International for, um, for, for allowing Cesare to come to the studios. And you can check more information there at terlatowines.com. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Cesare, hopefully you have a great weekend. You're going to the, to the races, right? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, but yeah, I'm here also because uh, I'm crazy about a mod bike. <laughs> and we sponsor a good friend of mine that is uh, Pramac Ducati, which is one of the most important team in the, in the race. <laughs> so I'm here because I'm really enjoying that. Uh, I have some friends with me. And, you know, it's, uh, that has been a good reason to come to Austin. <laughs> And, uh, you know, let's uh, wish him and even the team, you know, a good weekend. Yes. Thank you again, Mark. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chesedee.